Hey, cool cats and kittens. <laughs> Welcome back to the Charted Skull Report. I am your host, Sabrina Ray, but you can call me Boo, and I am joined once again by my childhood bestie, Dawn, to talk about Beastars. But before that, Dawn, how are you? What's going on in your little slice of the apocalypse? We just decided that after this lockdown ends, well, we didn't just decide, but after the lockdown ends, we had these long-held plans to remodel our kitchen, which will no longer be on hold. So we dropped a large chunk of change on some new appliances today. So that was very exciting. Oh. Um, a new stove. I mean, I love to cook. That's one of my things. Oh, yeah. So uh, you got me. And my wife has been doing some fantastic cooking. Tonight we had an all-Indian meal. Um, she made homemade naan. Um, and we had some... Um, Oh, some dal rice and uh, some coconut curry chicken. All of that sounds amazing. It was. It was fantastic. But I love homemade naan. I do. Like I love it when they make the naan on the side of the clay oven too. I know you can't do that. Obviously, you're right. You need to our, have a our current giant nor our new oven. oven will be <laughs> made of clay. We did not focus on a ten door only kitchen. <laughs> There's that one where they they actually like jump in and like slap it on the side way down near the fire. Or they, you just imagine them just going head over into the oven, I, uh, just flavoring your bread. I'm not familiar with, with that. It sounds fantastic. Those who came before, but uh, yeah, that, that's that's not what's in the in the. But I, it's it should be in a month from now. I'm knock on wood. Everything will be in, and also we started a bathroom remodel before um, the lockdown occurred, so they left in the middle of the bathroom remodel and we've had oh that's oh, tough it's been so annoying so we haven't had our master bathroom for it's like the money pit time. you just walk in and sink into the floor i or mean something. and they came along pretty well they like they ripped out a bunch of stuff they framed up a bunch of stuff yeah they put down a base coating and then they left it you know there's it's it's nothing right now it's heartbreaking oh i'm sorry to hear that um I today tried to make pizza using our bread machine and I'm I'm so about making my own dough and slapping it and doing the whole thing, right? Like I find it very therapeutic, I find it very cool, but using the bread machine to make those initial dough, like to make the initial dough is so much easier than like trying to get the formula right yourself mm -hmm. because a lot of times you'll mess it up. But lately it's been on the fritz, like this is the third time in a row that the machine has screwed up the bread. Uh, the, the dough for the for the pizza dough and I just had this slosh this slurry of uncooked like wrongly yeasted like everything went wrong with it and I my taco's like we can't throw it away we're gonna cook it oh. I was like <laughs> so we put it in a cake pan we put it in the oven and we put the other one we threw into like a frying pan and I fried it and it was so bad, so, like, I don't know if the word glutinous means anything, but it, like, it was just so... Ugh, well, gluten so can dense. be good, but... It was so dense and yeasty and terrible. And finally, she admitted that, like, we just had to get rid of it and kill it. And we did. And I I couldn't make pizza, I just had to make a salad instead. I just went with a salad. And, I mean, yeast is a precious commodity nowadays since everybody's decided. In fact, I was in the grocery store um, a couple days ago picking up some things, and I I was like, oh, oh, pleasant, they've got all the milk back, because previously that had been gone, and it looked like the dairy aisle was yeah. good, and then I was walking down an aisle trying to get some flour, not regular flour, we actually stocked up on that before the thing hit, so we actually... Knock on wood, we're, we're good I for feel bottom. your but, pain. Um, she's like, oh, I want some almond flour. I want to make some macarons. So I walk by the the aisle, and I was like, oh, my gosh. The only available um, flowers were, like, cassava flour and tiger nut flour. And there were some other really obscure ones that I was like, I've never heard of that. I don't I don't know what kind of flour you would do. No, there actually was. I, I was just about to leave, and I did find some almond flour, but it, it does not look as finely floured, as finely powdered, as I would normally expect um, for macarons, so I have no idea what the story is going to be. But we have a ton of no, bread flour kicking around, um, because I, yeah. I saw this coming. I didn't see it coming, but I was like, <laughs> look, in January, I was like, what is it going to hurt if I buy a bunch <laughs> of junk and just throw it in the pantry um so i actually made myself like a little prepper um area and i did i bought 
a huge amount of sugar and I bought some spam, which don't knock it, spam is really good. I know, dude, spam has been one of my go-to things. Like I use it for ramen. Like I'll get that ramen from the store mm-hmm. that you just throw into a mm-hmm. pot with water and I will put the spam chopped up in there and it adds a great flavor. If you put a little hot sauce in it, you're good. So we do fried rice with spam, which is divine. Yep, also it's good. really fantastic. Although you can also use kielbasi. Uh, you kielbasi know, makes a great fun fact. Well, I, I picked up a ton rice. of tuna fish because I was like, this will last. Um, well, what happened is, is I decided I would buy one unit of tuna fish, but I happened to be at Costco when I made that decision. So we have... <laughs> Are you a robot? That sounds so weird. <laughs> I will buy one unit of tuna fish, please. I, w- I bought one unit of powdered sugar, which ended up being 10 pounds of powdered sugar. And I bought... I will buy one unit of... <laughs> and I bought one unit of um, of uh, chocolate chips, and that's 10 pounds of chocolate chips, so... Oh, my God. I would hate to be the person taking this order. <laughs> uh, this is when I could... You know, this was actually before they were like, uh, you need a mask to go anywhere. This was early on. So I bought it. Well, that sounds exciting. But my week? Wait till you hear this. Taco is outside. Taco is my partner. She's outside. She's um, in the parking lot near our apartment complex. And she finds an injured groundhog. And that's it. That's the story. <laughs> I mean, I, I really have to... I have to elaborate a little bit. And I'm sorry for those of you who came for the delicious Beastars content and you're getting this stuff. But... Did she leave the groundhog? Was the groundhog... No, she summoned me, and I called animal control... Not animal control, animal... Services? uh, Rescue. I called animal rescue. They didn't reply. I guess they're very busy. Probably teaching their kids or whatever, because it was during the school hours. Um, And then I called the, uh, the people who run the apartment complex and told them... And uh, the groundhog was, like, being really skittish. It had, like, blood on its coming out of its nose. Uh, almost like Lagoshi in the episode that we're about to talk uh, about, where he got punched right in the face. Very uh, eloquent uh, segue there. <laughs> but uh, also, the groundhog's wounds were very physical. As opposed uh, to mental. <laughs> as opposed to the psychological wounds that are that imposed Louis on... Has in episode nine, <clears throat> uh, episode nine, we get his backstory into finally. the lion's den. Yes, which has a different Japanese title, which I'll get to after we talk about the cold open because that's when it's revealed. Okay, Louis apparently was sold was was uh, given to a meat market. He was food. He was going to be. He was going to be just food. He may have been born for that purpose. Like yeah, he didn't it's, seem to. It's like, still apparently unclear. he didn't have any reading or writing. Um. He was so cute um, with his oversized sweater and his, like, innocent boyish face. And I I could just eat him up. <laughs> I think that was the intention, yes. <laughs> um, and then some weirdo, some older, like, stag named Ogma from, get this, Horns Conglomerate shows up. And buys Louis after seeing how he defends one of his fellow, um, like, meat um, deer. Fawns? Fawns, yeah. One of his fellow meat fawns uh, from being taken away for the slaughter. And he's so impressed with that sort of, like, strength that he ends up buying Louis. And it's like, out of the fire, or out of the frying pan into the inferno... Or into another frying pan, basically. Well, when he's, like, thrown into a room full of... The whole thing was very bizarre. Right. He's thrown into a room full of carnivores. And then he's like, I'm going to kill myself. he's five years old. Is he five? Is he really five? That's what they said. He's five years old. How would you even have the presence of mind to wield a knife to hold against your own throat? But again, um, you know, they're animals, so they may mature at different rates. Right. Right. Um, Like... It's weird, too, because I guess I guess it's showing that there's sort of a, a sinfulness even to... Like, of course, the, the act, uh, the natural act of a predator eating prey, in most cases, um, it appears sinful if you apply sort of like a human logic to it, right? If you apply like our moral sense. But like, within the natural world, it's kind of normal. But then there's this sort of twisted version of this where... Um, they're relishing eating something young and fresh and innocent or they're 
in the case of Haru, who gets kidnapped in episode 10... You're just going to jump uh, straight there, huh? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump around, and I feel now, like she actually gets can kidnapped do that. in we episode the... 9, to be fair. I'm sorry, you're right. She does get kidnapped in episode 9, but like her story is all throughout episode yeah. 10. But like um, the idea that someone would... Uh, as the Goshi has sort of mix up their sense of like hunger with their sense of lust. And also like when you think about how we advertise food, a lot of the times it's, we advertise it with sex. So like, I feel like that's sort of like connection. Um, it normally, I don't think it normally exists in the animal world. Like I'm sure animals have their favorite things to eat, but um, here we see it very, very in a very human would you say I would say it's a human lens that we're looking at it through sort of like we're seeing their like twisted perversion um, of wanting to eat these young innocent animals because why not let Louis and his friend grow a little bit more so that they they get like um, like more meat on the bone I guess it'd be more tender I thought they were letting them were letting some of them grow a little more I guess like it wasn't clear to me how many days um louis had left before he was going to go on the chopping block but i mean you're absolutely right that the the conflation of innocence with good word. um you know with the sexual and the the um i want to use a, a a word that is escaping me right now the hunger um related to food um is it it woven throughout both of these episodes in ways that I in fact found kind of weird when I assumed that they were being very sexual and then they were like oh no this is actually an appetite a hunger appetite kind of thing a, a bloodlust kind of thing but then and we I'm we can get to this in episode 10 like the the defilement makes everything taste better I was like okay dude we're really we're, we're beginning to cross into a fetishized territory that I don't think we need to go to. No, I like it in the sense that, like, we've been living with with Legoshi's, like, um, dilemma, right? Where he's not sure whether Haru is his food or his romantic, uh, an object of his romantic interest. Mm-hmm. And, like, in that episode in particular, I guess I'm just going to jump into it real quick. And we can come circle back to it if we have more to say. But he literally accidentally, in a fit of like, gr- he's, his, he's got his fangs gritted as he's being confronted by what is basically a Yakuza lion. Um, and he snarls out that Haru is his prey. Yeah. His, f- his food, basically. Mm-hmm. That's my food, and he, is how it's translated right, here. He, he catches himself. And that's when we kind of go, <laughs> the whole screen tilts and it goes to black and white and it gets very dramatic. But like, I think that it's good that we're seeing that it's not just him who has these conf- these issues of conflating those two things. It's a it's an issue within this world. Uh, it is, but others are much more comfortable with the conflation and less, you know, it's, right. he's exploring the line between black and white for them, you know, they've already cross the rubicon they've already like the the old lion boss who is desiring to consume haru <clears throat> he he knows exactly what he's doing and he's very comfortable and happy with the whole the whole active act acts that he's going through yeah. like this is he's got this all planned out um there's actually two lion characters that are pretty significant in these episodes that we can talk about right now. Um, there's the mayor, who kind of gives you a new side to his story, um, in that he says that in college, before entering college, was it? He had his fangs removed and had massive amounts of plastic surgery done to make himself seem more friendly and relatable for the herbivores that he was going to rule over. And it's sort of like um, he has to, like, blend in more in order to sell an image to them of safety. And the only reason he is so hell-bent on quieting, on on, uh, 
on taking charge of Haru's. not, he's not in charge of the rescue, obviously. Yeah, no, he's definitely not. But the only reason he steps in so quickly is because he wants to quiet and hush it all. Because if this comes out, that lions do this to other animals, that lions just snatch you off the street, then all the work he's done to make lions seem friendly and nice will be for nothing. And then we've got the other side, which is the guy you were describing, which is the Yakuza boss. He's, he's just kind of icky. Uh, he's from an old world sort of order. He seems to have like lots of power, and he's a very cliched sort of character for me. Like a, almost like just a lecherous old man who has unap- like um, unattractive appetites, right? Yes, absolutely. How do you see those two characters? Because it seems like they coexist. They absolutely do. I so from my perspective, having not watched further episodes or understand the relationships here. It could easily be to me that the mayor is in fact fully aware of and in some ways working with this other den of mm. lions. That that would not, you know, his whole mission is he wants to be mayor. And yes, that's his own personal ambition. But for him, the the it's important that lions have a good rapport with the rest of the animal kingdom, if you will. And as a result, like he would want to keep this sort of activity quiet he wouldn't want to draw attention to it and that's exactly what he's trying to do here with respect to haru's kidnapping he's like look this you know we want to keep this quiet this we don't want to ruin the festival we don't want we don't want word of this to get out um i mean to me it's the worst kind of politician there he seems like he has no principles he's doing it for the power itself um yeah i really like the detail that he he went all the way he he did all of that to his self to himself to try to like appeal to everybody. Well, I mean, the the and way to that me, detail it's comes just out, the most grotesque transformation. Interesting that you consider it a grotesque transformation. Um, you, do you think he's denying his true character in in the process? Interesting because then Lagoshi is is kind of like contrasted with him in that Lagoshi is apparently also hiding his true nature. And dressing it up as something innocent when it is ferocious in the in its uh... well, Louis Louis calls him out on that. That's what he yells at Lagoshi for. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that this all this information came out uh, about this mayor when he was talking to Louis and trying to convince him to keep it under wraps. Trying to con- look, I I spent all this money. I did all of these things in order to make this work. And th- yes. the the implied threat is I'm, of course, willing to do a lot more to maintain the status quo, uh, including... Right, he holds he holds the B-star status over Louis's head. Like, he, Louis is, is this close to getting to be the next B-star. Well, that's not clear. I, I will tell you from my watching so far. First of all... No, no, it's definitely said, though. It's definitely he said that he, he says to Louis, he says to Louis that you are, you, we are, we are this close to having you be the next B-star, but you, as the next, as a person who will become a B-star, you would need to make these difficult decisions. I, I, I agree with your view of this in the sense of, that is what is said, but for us, the the viewer, it's completely unclear whether he's just saying that in order to get his way, or whether there really is sort of a machination. It's also unclear how B stars, how frequently B stars are awarded or or anointed, and and the process for doing so. So I mean, he could just be blowing smoke. Agreed. But let's remember that when Louis was visiting Thames Shrine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was attacked, which Lagoshi thwarted, like quietly and with <laughs> with swift justice, takes down the leopard that was going to like attack Louis at the shrine. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find out that the that the carnivores are very worried about him becoming uh, powerful uh, because that would that would like we had talked about we had alluded to this in a previous episode, like that there might be a point at which the carnivores wouldn't be getting anything out of this deal. 
Um, or like we were curious, like what are the carnivores getting? They just seem to be giving up powers and not gaining anything in the process. And it seems to me that the show is also saying like, yes, that's true. And they're not just, they're, they're also aware. Well, of but it. then the balance here is if they are in positions of power, such as the mayorship, if they're just using it to subvert actual justice and to run a black mm. market that they or run the black market and have things like the shishigumi that operate with impunity then it's not a yeah. heck of a lot better than it used to be when presumably chaos reigned and carnivores just ran around totally doing what they wanted that is one of my questions though and I, i'm glad you brought that up because i would go one step further and say what point is there to a carnivore in a civilized society i mean in nature a carnivore could be sort of like the manner by which nature calls overpopulation of herbivores or protects um territories within a forest structure so they aren't invaded by other species like what is the point of a carnivore if we have buses and city lines and gentility and, you know, like, rules? Excellent question. I So I think the answer, or the, the hint of an answer to me, um, is really weird. Because if you go back to, um, bear with me, mm-hmm. Gohin... Uh, the the panda bear, and he is giving Legoshi his speech. Um, he points out that all these people who you know that he were trying was trying to save, or these people, they went crazy from having given into their animal instincts. So there's a whole psychological balance. Like if you were going to be part of a actual civil, if you're going to operate in a civilized way with higher yes. mental motor functions, then indiscriminately devouring anybody any uh herbivore or any creature you run across is um mental poison perhaps so that could be one reason why it is advantageous to live in a rigid hierarchical structure even if it looks like you're giving up a lot i couldn't have put it better good good i'm glad let's put a pin let's put a pin in that um let's circle back to um to Legoshi, because this is a great episode for him. He finally does it. Our boy does it. He confesses his love to Haru in a very awkward manner. Was it... No, he had just come from an altercation with the leopard. Yes. That was and the leopard altercation. He, and he runs into Haru. And well, he doesn't run into her. He seeks her out. Because he is going to confess his love for her. Yeah. But then also... He is intending to say, hey, this can never work Mm -hmm. because I can't. This will interfere with my ability to protect Louis. Um, So he was going to confess in in order to sort of clear the air between them. And instead... Yes, and it it, it sort of cements to me that Louis is sort of what his ideal is. Like, he, he actually says that he wants to render himself harmless. And that's definitely directly referred to, um, that's definitely a direct, like, connection to what the lion was saying, the the mayor was saying later about, you know, putting a friendly face on everything. But, um, like, he he wants Mm -hmm. to, um, support Louis instead of himself because he doesn't feel that a wolf can ever really be seen or ever truly fill the role that Louis will fill as B-Star. Which is an interesting setup because Louis ends up really disappointing me in this episode by um, immediately just, like, swallowing all of his pride and just accepting the fact that Haru's going to be fed to this lion. Well, I think you, you're you underplaying a little bit the, the whole scene with the mayor and Louis, where the mayor threatens him. And blackmails him. And it's a blackmail. It's a blackmail, but I, I don't know why. I thought Louis was a little bit better than that. 
I we are. It's made clear through the flashback that Louis has huge expectations on him from basically what's a CEO in our parlance, right? Um, the the horns. Uh, yeah, like the head of a conglomerate is. It's basically like a CEO, right? Like someone who's in charge mm-hmm, of a, mm-hmm. a massive amount of business. It's so funny to me that you are the one castigating Louis in this episode. And the last time we started talking about Louis was when he had basically told Haru, like, don't don't get attached because you know that this is not happening. Uh, and I was castigating him there and you were defending him. But here... That's be- I've seen him now as a five-year-old. He's so cute. <laughs> but So you see him as a five-year-old and paradoxically you expect him to have higher morals. Here, I'm... He... The whole, like, you go to the handshake scene, he's clearly conflicted, and the implication is he's actually not going to go along with it, and the lion just reaches out, grabs his hand, and shakes it, and says, so we're done. And then Louis kind of is, he's clearly torn. He is... He's torn, sure, but in the end, Don, he was going to sacrifice Haru. Well, at the same time, I kind of... Oh, wait, are you on... Are you on the mayor's side? Do you think it was good to sacrifice Haru? No, I'm not saying it was good to sacrifice Haru. I'm saying as Louis, what do you really think you can do? You're going to what? go? He, Louis, I believe, has a better understanding of what the Shishigumi is than Legoshi because Legoshi doesn't seem to know jack about anything. No. But it, I don't get the impression. I think Louis would know. Price, in fact, probably I would expect him to know given his background that he knows what the Shishigumi is. And he would... What, what is he going to do? Is he going to storm a castle full of 30 lions to rescue Haru? Like, what a totally futile gesture as an herbivore well, or not. He could have brought a gun. <laughs> I feel like... I mean, we see guns in the series. And also, remember when you were talking about how, like, a buck is actually pretty tough? We see that in his fight with, with Lagoshi, where he gives him the double-barreled kick. Like... Definitely, Louis has his tough points. Sure. He's fighting one wolf who does his best to minimize his whole thing, as opposed to mm. 30 tough lions who run a crime syndicate. <laughs> Sorry. All right, you're saying Lagoshi minimized it, but he didn't. That was him at his full strength when he punched him. Well, no, I'm saying it's one thing for Louis to stand up to Lagoshi. It's another thing for him to go on what is effectively a suicide mission, which but everybody we let makes clear. Lagoshi go on that suicide because mission because Lagoshi doesn't a know any scenes better. Later. Right? He doesn't know any better. He doesn't know what he's getting oh, into. He's he walking knows. around the meat market asking people <laughs> what shishigumi is, and people are like, "Are you freaking nuts?" Shadowy organization. <laughs> I know. It's like, does in... anyone know of a shadowy murder organization? I mean, this sounds like he would go to Japan and go to like some, you know, food stalls and be like, "Hey, what do you know about the yakuza? Can anybody point me to the yakuza?" And people are like, "Are you absolutely bonkers?" Like, that's the same sort of mentality here. No, I I agree that his naivety is <laughs> is, is almost stressful. <laughs> well, I wasn't stressed out. He's the he's the main character, but I was like, it was it was ridiculous, and he's on a fool's errand. So that's why I had more sympathy for uh, Louis because Louis is a better understanding of the risks and the costs and and what have you in this situation. And I don't begrudge him not deciding to stand up for Haru um, in this. And he's he's at least acting consistent. I mean, I was angry at him when he was toying with Haru's feelings, but he's being consistent in his treatment of Haru as a throwaway. It makes him more pure, though. What? Yeah. His feelings for Haru are so direct and so pure that he just runs straight into bullets. Oh, you're talking about Legoshi now. Legoshi, Of course, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But Legoshi operates entirely on that spectrum of total, pure, innocent emotion that's just like running around he's he is the white knight mm-hmm. i wrote down this i wrote down this in my notes he's dumb <laughs> yeah he is he is the white knight rushing in to save the princess in the castle and they've spelled it out for us i mean it's ridiculous otherwise she's on the fifth floor oh yeah that's the name of the episode the name of the episode is terror on the terror on the top floor basically that's the episode 10 
title? Yeah. Oh, no, that's the episode nine title. <laughs> I know, it's weird, right? We have to really spend It's actually a better title, in my opinion, but... We haven't talked... Maybe there's, like, a, an illusion I'm missing. We haven't talked at all about what Haru has been doing. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Um, I just wanted to tell a very short story about how I was the naive person who went to New York. Do you want to hear it? To rescue a damsel in a castle? Hit me! It was, okay, so I'm going to meet my friend Hisao for uh, a concert. We went to see the band Chibomato. Oh yeah, Chibomato. They had a song at the time called Know Your Chicken, which I was just super into, and I loved the live version because it had bass. And Sean Lennon, John Lennon's son, was bassist at the time. Anyway, I went to New York. I don't remember how old I was, but I was still in my teens. And it was my first trip, uh, like, out of the New England area, right? I drove to New York, and I was looking for Penn Station, and I couldn't find it. <laughs> I mean, New York's a big place. I'm going to give you innocent you One of the you, most uh... famous train stations, like, centrally located on Manhattan. Manhattan Island, the big one, right? As opposed to Staten Island, you would have been definitely I been end lost up, then. I end up in the Bronx, and I pull my car over. I was in a range, like a Range Rover or a Ford Explorer, I forget. But I was in, I was in my Ford Explorer, let's say, and I pulled over, and I, I got out of the car, and I saw a guy on the bench, and I asked him how to get to Penn Station, and the guy had a plastic bag in which he was carrying his T-shirt. <laughs> So, just just for our <laughs> listeners, this is way before any such thing as Google Maps or... It was, it was. Or MapQuest. Yes. Or any of those... You just pulled over and asked people. Yeah, it, at best. But I got out of my car and walked to his bench, and then he's like, I was just headed there. That's what he told me. And I believed him, and I let him in my car. Brilliant. And as we're driving there... He tells me to pull over and get him a drink. And he's like, uh, he uses my old name, but let's just, I'm just going to have him call me Sabrina for the purpose of this story. He goes, Sabrina, don't you trust me? (laughs) And if anyone ever calls you by your name who just met you and says something like, don't you trust me and gives you puppy dog guys, do not trust them. Yeah, my answer probably would have been no. What possible reason do I have to trust you? I said, I don't not trust you, but I'm not leaving you in my car with the keys in the car and the car running while I get you a soda. You're going to go get your own soda. And I had to pay for his soda because he didn't have money. Likely story. I mean, it's possible. We got to Penn Station, right? Well, so you got that mud out of it. We got to Penn Station. I'm pretty terrified at this point. And he's like, I gotta ask you, I just broke up with my girl, I don't have my wallet, um, I need 20 bucks, I need, I need money, to, 20 bucks to go and take the train. And I was like, okay, I'll give you the 20 bucks, sir, but if you don't, <laughs> and he, he, offered to, he offered to send me money and pay me back, and I gave him the 20 bucks, and I gave him my friend Derek's address, and I was like, if you don't send me the money... I will lose my faith in humanity. <laughs> I don't think. And I let him go. I don't think Derek ever away, got that money. And I circled around, and <clears> I <throat> came back around again, and I picked up Hisao, and I went to the concert. But like, I was so dumb. I should never have driven into New York and picked up a random guy, muscle guy, on a bench. Um, I have similar stories of my incalculable idiocy. Um, but I, I won't bore our listeners with them on this particular uh, I like to call it naivete. <laughs> Welcome to They, Them, There's a monthly non-binary discussion podcast. We're here. We're queer. Let's talk about it. My name is Joe. And my name is Rain. We're non-binary, and once a month we sit down and we talk about gender. 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 <laughs> we talk about our experiences with gender expression, pronouns, and other parts of the trans and non-binary experience. We also talk about a lot of anime and music that we like and relate to. And our cats. Yeah. <laughs> you can listen at theorangegroves.com or search They Them Theirs on your podcast app of choice. 
Until next time, take care, and remember, nice gender. Hello, you beautiful blood-sucking babes. I'm Sahana. And I'm Kat. And we're the hosts of Summer Twilight Book Club, a podcast where two dumb bitches with social work degrees reread the four horniest books of their teenage years. If you're at all curious about any of the following, this is the podcast for you. Does Bella Swan have a car crash fetish? Yes. I am telling you right now, the answer is yes. Does Stephanie Meyer understand healthy relationship boundaries? Has Bella Swan ever had a secure attachment in her life? How has Twilight impacted the societal and my personal conceptions of romance? Why does Stephanie Meyer owe Sahana and all other brown people reparations? Why is Edward Cullen so into edging? You can find Summer Twilight Book Club at theorangegirls.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you access podcasts to find out. Let's talk about Haru. <laughs> yes, let's talk about Haru because um, she's a bit of a sad sack in this. And I did get a little uncomfortable with all the undressing and the 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 weirdness, especially at the end of episode 10. I could not understand the juxtaposition of scenes that were going on when she's writing her last will and testament. Um, and there's this pencil. I thought the animation was great. The pencil outline of the... Um, the boss lion grabbing her tail uh, and lifting her up from behind. I was I did not understand how that all fit together until the scene resolved itself, and it turned out that was the reality, and everything else was just composing in her head. Yeah, <clears throat> it's it is gives us a moment for her. Like this is probably when she's dealing with the leader of the Shishigumi. We we are actually getting her perspective probably for one of the first times outside of bullying. Um, we actually get that same uh, dissociative style of mm-hmm, art where mm-hmm. they show her outline of her head, and then like the action is happening as if it's happening to someone else and not her. Um, and she's narrating her own life, or she's like narrating what's going on through her head. She's monologuing. We're used to that with Legoshi because he's constantly... We are used to it, exactly. But we haven't... But we never had it with her. I don't know if we never had it, but this is definitely the longest interlude where we have it um, consistently with her. And it was effective. And I also thought that this scene did a better job of conveying some of the same feelings that we saw in a previous episode when she was speaking with Legoshi on the train bench, where she's like, look, you know, this is my life. I live it the only way that I know how, and it's because I'm constantly prey. But here she also expresses that she only feels like she has power or feels like herself when she is involved basically in a sexual relationship. Like, it's very interesting that this is the way this is brought about. And I can't say how consistent I feel like it is? Like, am I supposed to see her as some sort of whore Madonna? Or what? what is going on with the um, the way she's being portrayed? But the, I get the, con- the idea that basically she's like, I, I get power through having sex. That's, that's what happens. And they, they say, like, she lost all of her friends when she started sleeping with somebody in um, junior high, basically. And I was kind of like, once again, that again triggers me because I'm kind of like, well, why? Why would that necessarily cause you to lose all your friends? Like, why are these visions of the world incompatible? Um, mm. And I do find it very sort of odd because I, again, the they play her as this innocent in a lot of ways, but she's not sexually innocent and she's also not sexually um Averse, like she she wants to have sex. She uses it for power and purpose. Um, it's not it's not expressed how much she enjoys it, which is a little weird um, because that's usually an activity that people do enjoy, um, and that's why a lot of people seek it out. Um, but that's not what she implies that is going on. Well, she gets something different out of it. It would seem right. She gets a sense of. Um of normalcy whereas most times people are very especially males are very patronizing with her and they they treat her with kid gloves and they give her they look at her as if she's a baby who's incapable of doing things because she's 
the words that keep coming up almost like a mantra or fragile, uh, weak, you know, like uh, everyone underestimates her. No one's seeing her for who she thinks she is. Yeah, who does she think she is, though? They're just seeing a reflection of her weakness, uh, a helplessness. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, And I am curious about the character because she has some depth to her, like... It makes sense from the perspective of she is in gardening club. She's alone in gardening club. But that seems to me like she's she's both whining about being alone, but she also doesn't really seem to enjoy interactions with others because of this minimizing effect that constantly is occurring to her. So then operating alone in gardening club seems to be a great place for her in that particular hierarchy. Um, but then you've got the other aspect of her ability to level the playing field again through sex and so it's very which interestingly enough does not occur with louis um she has sex with him and they have in that sense an equal relationship but she doesn't have any power over him that's true um she confesses during her farewell letter that she was never able to tell louis the boy she likes that she cares for him um so Obviously, she's kept him, as much as he has sort of penned, put a fence around their relationship to, like, restrict what it is, she has also, like, not expressed what she wants that relationship to actually be. So I'm not sure that she's, she's, will, she treats Louis in her mind the same way that she sees these other boys, but she does have the epiphany about Lagoshi being the only one who sort of has, from the very beginning, uh, at least, looked only at Haru as Haru and not necessarily belittling her status or, like, being patronizing or condescending to her. And she says he confuses Uh, the heck out of her because she can't figure him out in that respect. (laughs) Right, right. He's very, like, there's obviously a missing puzzle piece there, and and Lagoshi has every intention of revealing it, but... um, just as he has planned to. Uh, His first attempt, which we were talking about earlier, to reveal his feelings goes disastrously wrong because he's got a wad of tissue sticking out of his nose and it's almost like, it's almost treated like a wedding proposal. I I have to say, though, he is, you, you said it's very awkward. And it is, but he is not being awkward about it at all. He's being very, in my mind, mature. He's like, Haru, I want to talk to you. He is being straightforward and calm. She is constantly trying to interrupt him, being childish, yes. pretending not to hear him. Like, it's ridiculous. Yes. He, We know what his purpose of coming there was, and she totally messes him up. And then instead they have they end up with a date to talk about his feelings, which I thought was incredibly absurd, even though he's already, I mean, he's already communicated them. And she seems also vexed by that as well. Um, even even the date he sets, um, she says something to, something to the effect of like, "Oh, that's also that's also problem a problem for me." <laughs> like, but it's I, I tried to compare it to a wedding proposal, which you kind of hand waved. But the 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 reason I did that is because I keep thinking about this guy who gets down on one knee, and he's dressed like he came from work like he's like in his construction gear and they're not at a fancy restaurant they're in the middle of a line at denny's you know what i mean like this isn't this isn't maybe the most appropriate uh setting for telling someone how you truly feel about them because the emotions that that are involved obviously um haven't been properly set up at all there's no, like... Like, I understand that, like, he's... I, I definitely see him as forthright in this, that, like, this is the best version of him I've seen so far, where he's just bold and he's willing to lay himself out there. And and um, he's... He, as I was alluding to, he's going to tell her about what happened the night that he attacked her. That is part of his plan to like lay everything on the table and get those feelings out there and make the boundaries more clear between them. So 
I did not view it that way. My understanding of his... Mm. This is right after he has seen the attack and thwarted the attack on Louis. And he has made up his mind, like, I can't... I can't... I won't interfere, and I can't in their relationship. And I cannot effectively defend Louis if I am compromised by this relationship triangle. And so my understanding of his purpose going to that conversation was not to... proclaim his love and then expect reciprocation or talk about that it was to proclaim his love and then say this this is not this can't happen um i'm essentially cutting myself off i did not even think at that point that he was going to confess necessarily to having attacked her because what's the point what's the point if you're trying to sever the relationship right that was my initial impression um perhaps perhaps i'm off on that but this this wasn't a profession of love made in the moment for you know for the purpose of furthering the relationship it's the opposite in which case the time and place while i agree not ideal um doesn't matter how ridiculous he looks because he doesn't it's, it, this isn't about self-glamorization this isn't about trying to make the moment into something it's, it's always not. about self-glamorization you know this to be true in your heart i you and i can agree to disagree oh come on you know a girl you like you like her so much you're gonna tell her when you're covered in bruises after a baseball game how you feel even if you're like i know you're dating the captain of the baseball team but i really like you and I'm now sworn, or I have sworn myself to defend the captain of the baseball team, so I'm no longer going to be chatting with you because I feel like it's going to interfere in things. Yeah, that that's a fine conversation to have when you look like a clown. because you Just go wash up. Just go wash but up why? and clean yourself what, what up, you, you slob. I, I am about the, the ends, not the, not the means here. Uh, all right, so, all right. Well, we're going to move on from that one. There's an interesting... There's some interesting things in this episode that I just want to talk about very briefly. Um, we're sort of getting into the action now. But uh, when when Louis... When Lagoshi goes and faces off against the Shishigumi outside of their uh, pagoda <laughs> building or whatever it was. <laughs> it was a really weird building. Outside of their HQ. He's confronted by a lion who gets a little talkative with him. And... He basically says that the cats hate the dogs. <laughs> he does say that. You're right. Canines, felines hate canines. Yeah. And uh, I found that really, really funny. It was almost like he was saying cats are cool and dogs drool. Um, but he lays it out. They're both vicious. But in the canine world, they have this friendliness. They have the, the tail wagging. It's Much very, is made of the tail. Very pleasing. And... Uh, and they sort of hate them for it, which I thought was a very interesting way of putting it. We don't we don't see the same. This is the first sort of vision of a single species conglomerate. Previously, it seemed like there weren't like you yeah. had your species day, but other than that, you didn't really seem to go around hang exclusively with your own people. Um, so this one is interesting in that respect. I did. I I think this is at the end of episode nine uh-huh. when Gohan first returns and saves Lagoshi in the alley. I just I have to laugh at one particular um stylized choice that the animators made. Gohan's wearing a bandolier filled with what appear to be shotgun shells, and yet he's wielding a bamboo shooting crossbow. Yeah, that was interesting. So shouldn't he have a quiver full of uh crossbow bolts or something yeah as opposed to he might have one i didn't i didn't see it though. I, well he's just got the bandolier but i'm kind of like well what like somebody decided that he was going to have a weapon and somebody else decided that it was going to be a shotgun hence the bandolier and then somebody else who was further enemy was like and here's the crossbow <laughs> i think the show does action really well and part of it i i was reading up uh i don't know i sent you an article but I was reading an interview with the people who make the show, and it's it's um, it's made with uh, computer graphics, so everything is sort of like three D models. Mm-hmm. And I thought that this it, it makes for very interesting action. Um, there's a lot of really dynamic movements, and the cameras are very interesting. The show is mostly like slow with talking heads and stuff, but when it does action, it's really good. 
We're definitely getting a lot more action heavy now. I, I do agree. I think the action is, is pretty interesting. I, uh, I did have a question. We're, we're again in this battle outside of the castle, if you will. And mm. Lagoshi goes into beast mode, like knocks the gun away. He's got the line on the run. Um, and then self doubts himself with the whole thing and, and loses his position of strength. And then Gohan comes in and rescues him. And the music does this insane thing where it like goes into this 80s guitar solo riff. Oh, I loved it. Yes, that's almost like Gohan's theme, right? Because he's like the 80s action star. It's it's just, to me, I'm like, what is this music? The and, like yawning guitars. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it was really... I was, I was getting really kind of like chuckling at that. Um, yeah. There was a scene, and then he storms into the castle, goes through all these things, and the, there's another scene where um, one of the lions grabs uh, Legoshi by the neck, and I think Legoshi headbutts him, and then there's a spiral of blood up in the air. Um, yeah. That actually made me think of, uh, I think Ninja Scroll actually was one of the first oh. animes where I saw blood used in you know in a very graphic way. I thought this was really um, it was gross, but a beautiful scene at the same time made me think of that particular. There's a scene near the beginning of Ninja Scroll where somebody slices off somebody's head and there's this rain of blood on the leaves. And it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that in anime. I was like, oh, this is incredibly cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, that's a that's a very popular scene, I think. Um, a lot of us grew up watching Ninja Scroll because there wasn't a whole lot else. There was not a, <laughs> that one was great. It's still great. It was great. I, and I it was is great. Um, I will say that the the last will and testament by Haru was so weird and in very in a lot of ways sort of pathetic. Like everybody's warning her she's going to be the first to die. <laughs> like it's just no wonder she has a, a rather messed up mental view. Um, yeah, uh, you've been hard on Haru, I, but I feel I'm like not... I feel like she's she's given us a lot more to go with now that you can kind of see where she's coming from. I guess I, I just heard the two sides of her personality seem so fundamentally at odds with each other. I understand it better now. And I appreciate that they've done a lot of service to Haru in this respect, but I'm, I'm still struggling with it. Like I don't understand. I don't understand how she can play the naive in as much as mm. she does because mm she's not naive she's not unwise um and the last thing that i wanted why does the mob boss stub out his cigar on his own hand after haru stands up to him i do not know um <laughs> just shows how cold he is how emotionally like like maybe he's preparing to do something in just I was going to say inhuman, but <laughs> yeah, obviously inhuman, but I don't know. Um, I wanted to say that I stood up and applauded Haru when she kicked out his cane and said that she was going to make herself as unappetizing as possible and ruin his precious gourmet meal. I was like, go girl, you got this. Yes, I was, I was pleased with her for that. And, but that's consistent with the other flashes of her character. It just... It seems very inconsistent with the sort of mentality that she's otherwise putting in her last will and testament. Like the nah, nah. We've seen both sides. As yeah, you said. yeah. I agree. Like, but it's. I guess we've seen both sides. But it's to me, it's less both sides than it's almost a schizophrenic difference in the two sides of her character. Like I feel like they they need to reconcile a little bit more. I'm I'm hoping that happens down the line. I also thought again introducing the same, like. She's basically about to get eaten. Legoshi shows up. He's the hero. Oh, that's this I wrote. Not great. What is this scene <laughs> and what is this music? It was I. I know the music was again like one of their, but it was like the high school meet cute music. But it's in the middle of this like weird battle scene. I was like, this is so discordant. Yeah, it to me that 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 cheesy music coming in at that moment just. I know what they're going for. I just don't like it. Yeah, I I agree completely. I'm like this. It 
it breaks my like I are we going for action here are we going like I know it's a we are smashing together all sorts of different tropes and ideas in Beastars and we're we've got the high school romance we've got this weird noir thing with the killers we've got this whole action thing going on right now but man sometimes <laughs> it does not fit together it was nice that they finally brought that up again. You know, the fact that Temu was killed in the pilot episode 10 episodes ago. No, But like, and I had really forgotten that the world is apparently a dangerous place. Haru hadn't forgotten, I guess. She's like, I'm ready to get eaten. Like, this is going to happen anytime. That's why I'm ready yeah. to throw down. <laughs> I mean, she, it, what he was going to do to her to humiliate her further was disgusting. The whole thing was disgusting. And then that music came in and it was and it became so silly. Yeah, a little bit. And um, I, you know what I did like though the music choice that they did was um, after the the weird eighties like Top Gun theme that came in with Gohin, um, they go immediately into sort of this rollicking. I don't know if it's a Paso Doble, but it's like it was like a rollicking sort of Spanish like um, like vibe for when he was infiltrating the when he was fighting the the guards as they were coming at him and he's trying to like scale the the levels of the headquarters do you remember that those the musical choices are sometimes oh no i was into it i was super into it and i also loved the the animal moment where Gohin gets punched in his nose and he's like, oh no, they know that my nerve clusters are all in my nose. Oh, I very much like that. Yeah, that was funny. And, and then, then they Goshi said, goes yeah, in we and know. takes the blow. The blow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I still think it's. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how we get out of this jam, given that apparently a jacked up panda and a teenage wolf are able to overpower all these lions. That seems unlikely. <sighs> Yeah, I, I think that 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 Lagoshi comes off like a superhero a little bit in this one, because um, he powers up like like I don't know this is probably a super dated reference but Popeye eating the spinach Lagoshi gets a sniff of that sweet rabbit poon and he's just like his his like. He gets like super muscles, like he suddenly gets all these adrenaline muscles, and like you yeah, see the red, it is crazy. the red <clears throat> magic blood flowing through him, and he's just like, Arr! I would have loved for him to howl or something to like separate it from his usual demeanor, but that would have been cheesy too. But that would have worked. That would have been cheesy that works for me. But uh, he rescues her, and uh, and then they leave. And the Japanese title for episode two was down i would follow you to the ends of the earth as in down like uh, premature feathers on a bird oh i I was thinking <laughs> down the rabbit hole no like down yeah like no, down I got you. soft oh, that's interesting huh huh yeah but you know i, I think they the, the japanese titles are sometimes more poetic and the english titles are sometimes more clever um yeah I, I don't know I think they they play around with the words pretty well wolf in sheep's clothing uh, I don't get it <laughs> I don't get that one well I think it's referring to Lagoshi in general as he tries to minimize his character but he's in fact a wolf and it really comes out in this episode that he can he can accomplish some things especially when he doesn't get too caught up in the fact that he is a predator and it's okay to be a predator in a lot of ways. Like that's that's when he has his moment of weakness. Is when he. But I feel like we got that though. We've gotten that the last couple episodes. Yes, but it hasn't been like the last time we saw it was when he's running away on the train station. He's like, "This is the first time I will declare myself as a wolf," and like runs in front of Haru. You remember this? Very Your different. Your sounds like Voldemort. <laughs> Very different feel than like knocking the spit out of some. Uh, lion that had a gun trained on him. It has been a pleasure, Dawn. We only have two episodes to go. We're headed towards the season finale. I have, I can say, I honestly have no idea which way we're going. Yeah, because they did hint that Juno will play some hand in the stories to come. Uh, 
because she was in this for no other reason than to remind us that she's a character. I, I that was more information than I had. I'm flying very blind into this. Yeah. Well, thank you very um, much, uh, Bree. It's it's always fantastic to chat with you. You as well. And thank you all for listening. Um, as you, as always, I'm Sabrina Ray. This is the Cherryton School Report, a Beastars podcast. If you'd like to support us, please go to the Orange Grove's Patreon at patreon.com slash oran... <laughs> theorangegroves.com. I'm doing this without my script. I usually have a script written for this. I'm just doing it without my script. <laughs> So I'm just going to keep all this in. So (laughs) it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, (laughs) It's fine. Keep saying it. (laughs) I'll keep saying it until I believe it. Like Louis saying all those things that he obviously didn't believe. uh, Because he had to. Um, It's fine. This is the Cherry to School (laughs) Report. Are you sure anymore? I'm not sure. Is this is this <laughs>